Welcome to the So We Speak podcast. This week, it's Terry Fakes, and I have a special guest with me, a good friend of mine for many years, Steve Slauson. Steve and I want to explore and invite you in to explore with us the idea of how should Christians think about the environment. In other words, what does it look like to think Christianly about environmental issues? And Steve and I have had a lot of discussions about this in various Bible studies and discussions over the years. He has some really interesting insights, and I think he'll bring a perspective to us that will hopefully inform our thinking. And so, Steve, let me kick it over to you and say first thanks for being on the podcast. Glad and to do it. Maybe uh, just tell us a little bit about what you do. Okay, I'm, I'm an engineer. Uh, and Slauson Exploration is a 60-year-old family business started by my dad in Wichita, Kansas. Um, we, uh, uh, it's my younger brother and I uh, run it now. Uh, my brother's in Denver. He handles our operations in the Rockies. I handle our operations in the Mid-Continent. We drill and we've drilled in uh, 10 states, uh, but right now we're mm. focused primarily on North Dakota. Uh, hmm. Some on Kansas and Oklahoma, but primarily North Dakota is, is our major uh, push. And, and we, we're diversified. We have uh, some real estate and some other entities, but oil and gas is what got us started. And, and like I said, my dad started the company 60 years ago. Wow. It's really interesting to me as I talk to you because when I pick up the newspaper, uh, I you know if I just read the newspapers about people who are in the oil and gas business, and then I met you, I'd think, where's your pitchfork and where where are your horns? Because aren't you guys supposed to be the, the devils that are that are ruining the world? But you are a Christian and in the oil and gas business and uh, have some interesting perspectives on the idea of stewardship and so forth. Well, let me kick it off this way. I have uh, been following closely it's kind of the idea of, is the world getting better or is the world getting worse? And in many, many respects, I'm talking about in just physical aspects, like how many children in the world are dying before they're one year old and how many people are dying from preventable diseases, how many people are starving to death. Now, while that's not good, it will never be good until we eradicate it, it is amazingly getting better. And I think some of that has to do with the way we've stewarded, maybe some would say abused, but really the way we've used natural resources to improve living conditions for all of humanity. It seems to me that you can't leave the oil and gas uh, industry and everything that's come from that out of that equation. So overall, do you see the oil and gas industry as and its history as improving lives? Because not many people think about it that way today. I, I absolutely do think that uh, fossil fuels, particularly oil and gas, have improved lives all around the world. Uh, when you uh, think about transportation, um, communication, you think about pharmaceuticals, uh, clothing, mm. um, uh, without oil and gas, we would still be uh, stuck in the 19th century. Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, it has improved. Uh, you can um, uh, longevity, uh, right. particularly in third world countries. Uh, mm -hmm. We're seeing that more and more today. Uh, it's lifted millions and millions of people out of poverty uh, that would still be uh, subsistence living uh, without uh, oil and gas uh, and the byproducts. Yeah. 
It, it does see. I mean, I realize there are two sides, and we'll explore both. But it seems to me it's easy as a Christian to look at this and see uh, that basically what you're doing is obviously making a living, etc. But the end result of what you're doing is uh, some would say it's exploiting. But I also see the evidence on the other side that it's actually benefiting. Is there a lot of discussion in your oil and gas industry about the, I don't want to say the moral dimension, but the long-term effects of that? Um, I would say there's not a lot of discussion specifically on that topic, but I think all uh, all my peers uh, would say that they're very um, aware that we need to be good stewards. And I think most of us believe that oil and gas is indeed a bridge to the next big thing in energy. Right. Uh, it'll be hard, obviously, to replace oil for things like jet fuel. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're already the world is already looking at a lot of uh, of things that, gosh, twenty years ago we wouldn't have thought. Uh, for instance, twenty years ago, who would have thought that uh, a third of Oklahoma's energy, uh, electric energy, comes from wind? It it just a third of Oklahoma. I don't yes. think I knew that yes. that was that high. Yes. And so I think that's a healthy thing for our world. Uh, Obviously, every form of energy has its dark underbelly, uh, wind turbines, its bird kills, et cetera. But still, uh, I think most people in our business believe that that's a good thing, And uh, but that oil and gas is going to need to be part of that bridge for the next uh, couple hundred years, at least in some fashion. Yeah. You know, that's interesting that you, I don't know if I've thought about that, and I don't know if we've talked about it, but you see, you're not married to the technology so much as you understand that it plays a role. I think that's an interesting, and particularly a Christian perspective, that it's it's not an end in itself, it's a means to some other end. Yes, yes. Uh, And uh, the great thing about oil and gas uh, is that it is a, a very condensed energy form. Uh, whereas wind and solar is very diffuse. Uh-huh. Uh, so uh, if you want to um, power a city, you need dozens of square miles of solar panels, but you only need one uh, gas-fired electric uh, uh, plant that takes up maybe 10 acres. Right. So, so the density of the energy source has some advantages. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, and obviously reliability mm-hmm. is important. And that's why I think that fossil fuels will continue to play a, a source because we need to have reliable energy uh, 24-7. Um, uh, I think I've told you about the book by Alex Epstein that uh, I've read. It's called The Moral Case for Fossil Fuels. Yeah, this is interesting. Take a little time and tell us about well, it. That was really interesting. There's one example that he brings up in his book that really stood out to me, and he talks about, uh, uh, uses as an example, uh, an operating room in a small town in Africa that uh, is running on a diesel-powered generator because they don't have uh, a gas line or an electric line to the town. And the generator can generate enough electricity to either run the incubator for a newborn in, in the neonatal unit or the surgery uh, uh. room, but not both. <clears throat> and mm-hmm. in that kind of case, in, in that kind of instance, someone's going to die. Yeah. And uh, we don't, obviously, in America, have to make those kind of life or death decisions. But in, in parts of the world that are still energy starved because they don't have access to reliable, clean energy, people die. Uh-huh. And uh, um, 
so I, I think that makes a good case for the consistency of fossil fuels, in, in, uh, especially in, in developing countries. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good observation because we live in, obviously, first world country. We don't make those trade-offs. Right. It's, it was educational to me to know that, but there are people in the world who are making those trade-offs. And I'm not trying to whitewash the industry. I'm just saying that there's a greater purpose to this, and that purpose might be bringing up the standard of living for people around the world. And at the moment, and I, I like your attitude, but at this point in time, this is the fuel source that is able to make that end come about. Yes. But also that it every every choice has a dark underbelly. Mm-hmm. So, so what in your view, is the dark underbelly of oil and gas. I mean, obviously, it's popular to read about all kinds of things, but when you sort through that, what do you see as a Christian as kind of some of the trade-offs that are being made? Well, I think it it gets into the discussion of climate change, and Uh I I think most uh, people in my business would agree that the earth is warming, Mm -hmm. and uh, that man is partly responsible for that. Now, is man 10% responsible or 90% responsible? Good question. There's no way you could devise an experiment to calculate that. But uh, I think most of the people in, in the industry say, okay, we're, we're at least partly responsible. So what are we going to do to minimize that impact? Mm-hmm. What are we going to do to minimize the impact of plastics that are getting into the ocean? Mm. Can we make plastics better? Can we make them in a way that biodegrades so that it isn't a little right. a bunch of little microbeads that are getting into our food chain? Uh, those those kind of that kind of research is going on and needs to go on, mm-hmm. but it is a unintended consequence of. The world we live in of, of easy easy uh, living by plastics, um, uh, and if we're talking about carbon emissions, obviously oil and gas and coal have carbon emissions. Uh, but people forget that don't pay attention in my mind uh-huh. that natural gas has half the emissions that oil and coal uh, do. So when say the state of New York blocks a gas pipeline from Pennsylvania to New England, and people in New England continue to have to burn foil, fuel oil because they can't get natural gas, they've just, they've just cut off their nose to spite their face right. on the environmental side. Right. In so, other words, it's, it, if you have an all-or-nothing argument, you sometimes miss the better solutions. Exactly. Yeah. Germany uh, decided they wanted to be green, so uh, and part of that decision was to shut down their nuclear power plants. Well, guess what? The wind and solar wasn't dependable enough, so now they've had to build a whole bunch of coal plants, and their emissions have actually increased. Increased. I didn't realize that it had gone up. I realized that that, that was a short-sighted decision about yes. nuclear, but so their, their emissions have actually gone up. Yes. Wow. So dependable, inexpensive energy, uh, I, I think none of us want to take a step back in our standard of living. Right. Uh, and uh, so we need to really focus on dependable, inexpensive uh, energy. Um, and until the perfect battery is invented that mm-hmm. that's an inexpensive and can store <laughs> solar and wind, I think we're, we're faced with fossil fuels for the foreseeable future. For the reliability issue. Yes. Well, and you know, not just, uh, and I do agree with you, none of us really wants to take a step back in our standard of living, but from a Christian perspective, even if we did, we certainly don't want to see people, the third world countries, not take a step forward. Right. And for you and I, 
if we were dealing with a $700 a month electric bill instead of a $300 a month electric bill, yeah. we could make adjustments in our life. But we all know that there are people here in our country that that would not be an option. Right. And so I think from a spiritual perspective, I we need to have inexpensive, reliable energy even here in our country. Now, that doesn't mean we're wasteful. Right. And certainly conservation, it, it starts with conservation, putting LED bulbs in, turning off the lights, setting yeah. our thermostat uh-huh. uh, right, maybe buying smaller houses, buying more efficient cars. That, I think, is part of the stewardship uh, that uh, we have to consider as as believers. And, you know, that's interesting, too. I want to go back to the power source in a minute. But along that line, something I've been thinking about is typically we think that economic and political moves drive the stewardship issue. For example, let's say we decide that it's good, quote, stewardship. I know we're using a Christian term there, but that it's better for us to incent, let's say, electric cars. And so what do we do? Well, we make some tax incentives on electric cars. Mm. We make them more affordable through economic incentives and political, you know, basically favorable treatment of certain industries. And and that makes sense to me. I'm fine with that. But there's an interesting dimension as Christians that maybe we don't wait for that. Mm. Uh, This idea of conservation can also be voluntary. I'm just exploring it from a spiritual perspective is that, yes, those governmental things are fine, but as Christians, do we need to wait for the government or does stewardship demand that we basically be in the lead in this? I don't know. What? That, that's a great question, and I frankly hadn't thought about that. Uh, uh, I certainly have. I guess in my own personal life, I just don't like paying a high utility bill, so I've been <laughs> selfish and, and try to take some of those actions. But to say that I have turned off the lights because I think that's good stewardship— it's probably been more selfish motives in, in my yeah. case. But I think that you're right, Terry. I think as believers, we do need to uh, take the forefront in, in uh, 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 modeling uh, conservation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and again, it's, uh, it's not necessarily for an ideological reason, but if there are people, it's just the generosity. If there are people in the world that need this, then maybe I answer the same question I do when I tithe, and that is, how much is enough Mm. for me? And again, I'm not espousing anything radical here, like, okay, let's all go back to the Stone Age. I'm just saying that maybe we, being a little more aware of the fact that maybe I don't need to consume everything, and if that indeed helps somebody else in the world, that's just another form of giving as a Christian. I don't know how that would shake out, but it's just something you spurred in my mind by Mm. something you said. That's a good point. Yeah. Back to the power. I know this isn't your area, but we've, we've, you made some really good points to me about the density of the energy. How does nuclear play into this? Nuclear beats them all by orders of magnitude. And, uh, I personally think that nuclear has to be part of the discussion in reliability. And, uh, um, yes, it's got some, the ugly underbelly there is in my mind is how do you safely store the waste? Um, but, uh, I, I think to discount nuclear, uh, in this world is, is a big mistake. Uh, it is reliable and it's, uh, and it is the highest form, uh, highest density by far of any of the energy sources. 
you know, in America, uh, I guess I don't, I don't have the statistics at hand, but I know that it's virtually impossible to get a permit to build a nuclear reactor now. What is, considering the practical aspects of it, what has been the holdup on that? Why is that not moving I, forward in your view? Uh, I think it's been concerns on safety. Nuclear plants have a lot of redundancy built in, and people mm-hmm. want double redundancy, triple redundancy. Uh, they look at Chernobyl and they look at uh, Fukushima. Uh-huh. I th- think that's how it's pronounced. Yeah. And they say, "Oh, it's it's not it's not uh, uh, it's not safe." Well, those were two. Those are not good examples of uh, of nuclear. Uh, uh, we have a great safety record in the United States. There are a lot of uh, there's a lot of um, talk on some new smaller designs that are going to be more economic to build. Hmm. Uh, and uh, uh, I, I think. Uh, with time, we will start to see that attitude turn. But um, the safety is uh, there. Certainly, many, many more people die each year from uh, particulates uh, inhaled from coal-fired plants than from uh, the nuclear, nuclear radiation. Radiation or issues. Yeah, right. it's sort of the old. Uh, doesn't happen very often, but when it does, it makes the news. It's like the difference. Between uh, more people are killed in commutes in America than in plane crashes right. on, on any given day. Well, but that's not news. But that's the plane right. crash is news. And I don't mean to make light of that. And so you're right. There's, there are more people dying from diseases from coal plants than nuclear incidents. But a nuclear incident is a big news. True. Yeah. That's inter- and it's also interesting that you take kind of that holistic view of the, of the industry. You know, probably... Uh, have to at least come to the question of that in the news about on the oil and gas business in particular is the idea of fracking. And I mean, I know that there's some real benefits that have come from it, but it also is getting a bad rap. Uh, It's great to hear just sort of from the horse's mouth, somebody that's informed. What's your view of that technology? Well, it, it really makes me laugh. And I think this whole fracking debate caught industry by surprise because very few people know this. Uh, fracking was invented in the 1940s. Huh. So almost every well drilled in Oklahoma, for example, since the 1940s, has been fracked. Huh. And it only became a discussion when fracking was linked with horizontal drilling and the frack jobs went from a 50,000-gallon job to a 5-million-gallon job or a 50-million-gallon uh-huh. job. So because you're fracking a much bigger well bore, you need a much more liquid, much more sand. But the technique has not changed, and the chemicals have not changed. If anything, we've discovered that we can frack a well with fewer chemicals than we did 20 years ago. And a frack job is basically water and sand and soap to uh, to reduce friction. friction. And uh, and, and biocide to keep from uh, what you'd find in your pool chemicals to keep uh, uh, bacteria from growing in the water that you just pumped down that the you hole. you just pumped down the hole. You know, that reminds me, it, a lot of times in this debate, we forget first principles. I know that there are some listeners, and I, I think my knowledge isn't good either. Let's go back to an elementary question. Could you give us the short version of what is fracking? Fracking is just is pumping water and sand under pressure to First, the water to crack open the rock. This rock is brittle, uh-huh. and when you apply pressure to it, it's like taking a ball-peen hammer to a window. You're cracking that rock. The oil and gas is in the pore spaces in the rock, and you're basically trying to build channels to connect the pore spaces. 
and uh, so you've, you're opening the mine shaft with that water. You're keeping that mine shaft open after you've stopped pumping with that sand because as soon as you stop pumping that water, that mine shaft wants to close, uh. and the sand is, is holding the mine open so the oil and the gas can get from pore space to the channel, to the well, to the surface. You know, you kind of painted a picture as I think this through because, you know, our goal here is to how do we think Christianly about these issues? You're kind of painting a, a, a picture here of there are important things to be gained from various energy sources, but your theme seems to be the responsible use and the intelligent uh, weighing of trade-offs. Would you say that's your general approach to that? Uh, yes, and that last statement you said is, the, I think, the most important part is the trade-offs. As I said, every form of energy has its ugly underbelly. So you could say that the earthquakes are part of that. Mm -hmm. But if you're a farmer in northern Oklahoma that's getting a $10,000 a month royalty check because they drilled on your land, I'm betting that most of those farmers would rather continue to get that check than to see those wells all shut in because there was a little shake, rattle, and roll. Right. Now, if you don't have any of the royalty, your answer <laughs> might be different. That's yeah, different. But, you, but, yeah. uh, uh, but you're right. The trade-offs are important, and it shouldn't be all about money. It should be what—and the trouble is, is the answer for me— is going to be a little different than the answer for you on what that trade-off would be. And that is where public policy is so important of trying to balance it, in my yeah. opinion. Right. Well, as a Christian, mm -hmm. uh, having a Christian worldview, meaning you think Christianly about things, uh, I don't think that necessarily make you, you know, unrecognizably different from people who are not Christian in your business, but it has to shape some how you approach it. What are some ways that being a Christian businessman is, has kind of changed your approach maybe a little bit? Well, I think it starts, to me, it starts with empathy. Oh, uh -huh. Okay, listening to the people that are upset about items, hearing their position, being empathetic, um, trying to put yourself in their shoes. I mean, it, it's a little bit of the golden rule, right. uh, thinking in that term and... and then, okay, what can I do to change the way I do business mm -hmm. because uh, this person is upset, yeah. upset that, and scared maybe. Yeah. How can I do something that's within my control, even if it costs me money, to be better? Or not, not because I want to be a good boy, but because I can just make their life better. And we all know you can't please everybody. But right. still, I think I have a responsibility to listen and empathize rather than just discount that person as a, as a landowner that's uh, office rocker. Yeah. yeah. Some people might do that. Right. Well, that's interesting because your ultimate goal is beyond... Uh, well, I don't want to put it too bluntly, but kind of self-interest. You're seeing a bigger picture, and you feel like your faith demands that you see a bigger picture. Yes. Yeah. Uh, another question that just, it, for me as a consumer of news, and I look at energy policy in the United States, and I've got, you've got a lot of competing ideologies, which, in my opinion, is part of what makes the United States great. We have competing ideologies. I find it kind of hard to get down, though, to 
uh, an intelligent weighing of choices because I'm hearing ideology and not facts. Just from where you sit, better informed than I in this area and probably most of our listeners, what would be your observations on some positive ways forward in a national in other words, you take a Christian oil and gas mm-hmm. businessman looking at the national scene. What are some, you know, cutting through a lot of the rhetoric, what do you see as some positive ways to move forward? Well, I think President Obama said it best. Uh-huh. He said the answer to our energy picture here in the United States is all of the above. Uh-huh. And he's right. Yeah. Now, it, it obviously is coal has decreased with time. Uh, coal use will continue to decrease. Will it go to zero? Probably not, but uh, oil and gas will decrease with time as renewables uh, um, improve. And and that's okay, but I think in the interim, the answer is all of the above. And Mm -hmm. not not slam the door on any one energy form, but realize that um, uh, we need to have reliable, inexpensive energy. Uh, And again, I think it, it troubles me when the elites start wanting to go all renewables and aren't talking about the cost to those people that are on fixed income. That's disingenuous. Right. So I I go back to what Obama said, all of the above, and um, be open-minded on on all of them, and and let the people that are the scientists get together and solve these problems. it, it, again, kind of like with the earthquake issue. Yes. You took a scientific approach to what are the manageable levels. Exactly. Yeah. You know what might surprise some people is, uh, I think, is hearing you, who are in the oil and gas business, not saying anything negative about solar and wind. I mean, you evaluate the mm-hmm. energy, but you're not interested in suppressing solar and no. wind, even though it probably, at the end of the day, long term, takes some money out of your pocket. That's Okay. Yeah, and, and why why is that to you? Because I think that that's it makes our world a better place, and uh, uh, and even if even if um, we find out that global warming is caused because it's just the Earth is warming, increased solar radiation or something, I still think it's the right thing to do, uh, and um, I want my kids, my grandkids, to uh, live in a world that uh, has multiple uh, options and solutions. We, I will say this. I don't think we're running out of oil and gas. And some people Uh say, well, this is good because we're going to run out of oil and gas. At the right price, we're not going to run out of oil and gas for hundreds, if not thousands of years. When we drill a well, we recover between 5 and 15% of the oil in place. The guy that figures out how to get another 10% out of that rock... Yes, yeah. is, is going to be that's a game changer. That's yeah for not, and not just us. That's a game changer globally. Right, but by that time we may have transitioned to all renewables. Right, Who knows? that's true. Well, and that you tapped into something I definitely want to talk to you about, and that is climate change. I listened yesterday. I believe I heard that. You know how the dictionary companies do their word of the year. Mm-hmm. And so the Oxford English Dictionary, kind of the gold standard, chose as their word of the year. Uh, climate emergency, oh and so uh, yeah, and I know that that's partly marketing from that ideological mm-hmm. spectrum, and I'm not dismissing it. I'm just saying that uh, climate. At first, it was global warming, then climate change, now climate emergency because it serves the political end to motivate people. But leaving that aside, you know, obviously it's a, it is a big topic. I was going to say hot topic, but that was just too much of a pun. <laughs> but you know, and so I'd be really interested just on your perspective of the idea of 
climate change, you know, because I, you are a Christian, so you'll bring that perspective, but you're also oil and gas businessman. So what, what's your take on, quote, climate change? Well, again, I, and uh, I think Alex Epstein has some good uh, uh, government graphs in his book that show that the temperature models on climate change have all been wrong up to this point in the last 30 years. Uh, so I'm, uh, I am. I don't think that the word emergency is is valid personally, but that doesn't mean that the climate isn't warming and isn't changing. Um, the U.S. is only 15 percent of world emissions. Yeah. So if we brought our emissions down to zero tomorrow, what are China and India going to do? Uh, what can we do to encourage them to uh, get theirs under control? Uh, so the emergency is, uh, we can set the example here in the United States, right. and, we, and we should. I can see some value in setting some measure of an example. And our emissions have been dropping in the United States mm-hmm. uh, year after year. Uh, but do we hamstring our industries and put people out of work? Back to the trade-offs. Yes. We're back to trade-offs. And yeah. yet China and India don't follow suit? What? What is the right thing to do? Uh, that's uh-huh. a that's above my pay grade. Yeah. Well, but morally, I do think there's a moral dimension to this. In, uh, I mean, the fact that some of it's silly in the sense that maybe it's a good idea to use paper straws rather than plastic. But let's let's not kid ourselves that that is making a difference in the world. Correct. Now, on the flip side, I'm not going to argue that if it makes no difference, go ahead and do it. Fair enough. Let's have a reasonable discussion, but let's not kid ourselves that even if the United States went to zero, that would change the world. On the other hand, I think it's hard for us to go to third world countries, maybe not Mm -hmm. India and China, to to the same extent. But China's got a billion people, and a lot of them are literally living in third world conditions. I'm not sure there's a good moral argument to say you can't bring those people up to a certain level. That that absolutely is uh, uh, the um, most selfish argument, I think, in the climate environment is the same, is holding those people in third world countries, hold them down on the farm uh, because we're all afraid of emissions. And so someone, you're not entitled to have a car. No, you're not entitled to have electricity in your house. That's just patently right. unfair. Right. Yeah. And then that makes sense to me. So there's, it seems to me inevitable I kind of move past the the ideology of climate change. If you accept the fact that this is happening, I think you made a good point. It is not demonstrable exactly how much of this we can influence. But you also made the point is, well, then let's influence what we can. Yes. Uh, let's not go alarmist on this and say, yeah, it's all us and car and cows farting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, just to be blunt, right. you know, it's right. like, okay, come on. That's not a very scientific approach. On the other hand, let's do what we can. But it does require a trade-off. It would be easy, like you said, for you and for me to make some changes that wouldn't be easy for people on fixed income. Let's leave the third world Mm -hmm. and just come back to the first world. There's still hardships to be had. And so I think there's a certain amount of stampeding people into hard. If you can't convince people to make costly changes, you can sometimes stampede them. That's what climate emergency says to me. Not that there's not some factual basis here, but the fact that I feel like I'm being conned a little bit. Well, and I, I, where I get into, um, oh, I'm not sure what to do is, okay, should I forego eating beef? Right. 
as as a believer is that part of my witness when I get back into Paul is eating is that now the meat the, the <laughs> yeah. sacrifice to idol? Yeah. We did, you didn't think eating meat was going to come back in the twenty no, first century? Back. Now two thousand years later, oh well. Uh, but it is those are difficult personal decisions to yeah. make. But I I certainly as I said earlier I think it starts with conservation and maybe that is meat eating less meat and and being more frugal. Um, but it is a balancing act between that and selfishness. Yeah. Well, you know, here's probably a, a kind of bottom lining kind of question that I think your input would be good on. And as if you were going to advise a Christian, mm-hmm. you know, someone with a Christian worldview, uh, and say to them, how should Christians think and act regarding climate change? And I'm not putting you on the spot. I'm mm-hmm. just saying, what advice might you have? to Christians on, here's how you should think and act regarding climate change, leaving aside all the rhetoric out there. What's your personal uh, advice on that? Well, I, I think they should be open-minded, uh-huh. listen, be empathetic. Mm-hmm. Um, I, think there's, uh, I think there's some things that we should all do just out of stewardship to honor that possibility. Right. Uh, um, uh, but... I think debating someone on how far we go uh, is probably, you know, they probably already had their minds made up, so uh-huh. I'm not sure de- debating is the right thing to do, but uh, uh, I, I just think we need to figure out how to best take care of those. And and maybe that's on a personal basis. Maybe if our electric bills go up, maybe we as Christians are called to help write a check for those people so they can pay their electric bill. Right. But I'm I'm not sure how much to directly engage in that debate. You would see acting more important than debating. In other words, let's go do what we can do instead of debating some global solution. I, I'm probably not going to. Someone who's made up their mind about how bad pipelines are or how bad my business is, I'm probably not going to change their minds. Yeah. Uh, those that are sitting on the fence and just don't have uh, the technical information, mm-hmm. I might influence them, but uh, others that have uh, been uh, making this a. Uh, uh, bridge to stand on, I'm, I'm not going to change their minds. Hopefully they will see that I am empathetic and not a demon, not totally self-serving. Yes, I am self-serving because I get paid for this job. Right. That's, if that's all I do, maybe that's all I can do. Yeah. Steve, this has been really helpful. And what I want to do is digest it and come back and have some future discussions Uh-oh. about this. And I hope it, seriously, I hope it stimulated uh, your thoughts, speaking to our listeners, that as you walk around this issue and realize that there is a Christian way of thinking about it, and maybe it's not exactly the way we thought. I loved your emphasis on the idea of being empathetic, seeing a bigger picture than just our lives. And as Christians, we have, there's a moral dimension to this as well. Yes. Thanks for listening to the So We Speak podcast. If you like what you hear, go ahead and leave a comment, leave a review, email us, tell us what you like about it, tell us what you'd improve about it. Thanks to all you guys who are listening, and we'll see you next week on the So We Speak podcast. Mm-hmm.